0: Hey there, it's Nick. Today we have something a little different. A story told in three parts in collaboration with our friends at the podcast, Everything is Stories. All the names have been changed to preserve anonymity.
1: I remember... Holy shit, I haven't thought about this in ages. I was at my dad's, when my parents were separated, I was at my dad's house, rooting through stuff in his bedroom, because I was being nosy. And I'm in this, like, little walk-in closet... And in his closet, I had found this like box, a black box, sort of like what you would find, you know, really fancy dresses in. And I opened it up and there was all these tiny little black pouches in it. And I opened one of the pouches out and, you know, like shook it out and it was, this is gonna sound so crazy, but it was like emeralds and jewels. Tons of black little pouches and, you know, maybe six or seven in each pouch. And the ones that I remember most clear was emeralds. So I put it back, and no big deal. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, my dad had given me a ring that had an emerald in it, and it was gold. And I remember he had to put tooth floss or something around it because it wouldn't fit me. And I felt so proud because it was the first jewelry my dad had ever given me, like, real jewelry that wasn't like a little heart or Hello Kitty. And so... I remember being 9 or 10 and for about a year or so thinking, okay, my dad's a jeweler. Maybe he imports emeralds from Colombia, you know, and sells them to jewelry places here. And I really couldn't tell you at that time what my parents did for work.
0: From Radiotopia, you're listening to Love & Radio. I'm Nick Vanderkolk. Today's episode, La Retirada. Part one.
2: You know, he was the kind of dad that, like, got us, like, power wheels. You know, like, my sister had, like, a Lamborghini power wheel, and I had a Jeep Cherokee power wheel. We had, like, our rooms were, we had two separate rooms that were, like, decked out with everything. He gave us everything we wanted. He, like, pretty much spoiled us. He, he was, he was, a, he was a good dad. I grew up with him up until I was about, like, eight years old. We didn't live together, but he lived in the same neighborhood as my mom. When you talk to my mom, she could be like, I was fucking scared out of my mind, and I, she didn't convey it to us. When you sit with my mom, I'm going to get a lot from it, because I don't know this shit. <laughs> These are the questions that you'd expect someone to have asked, but like, I've just never asked them. Um, did you want to go over the name stuff? Remember, Mom, we're not using our names.
3: But I have to change names?
2: Well, that's what they're gonna... I don't know how you guys want to do it. What's a name, Mom, that you like a lot, but isn't connected to in any way to you?
3: Make it Rocio. That's my best friend from the Dominican Republic, no? Rocio. Yeah. Uh, The last name? Um, let's go with Gomez. Yeah. Rosio Gomez. Rocio Gomez. I write it down so I could remember. <laughs> uh, hi, my name is Rosio Gomez. I'm the mother of. Uh, Just say
2: Jeff. Uh, Jeff and Ksenia. Don't even worry about
3: the last. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my son' name is Jeff, and my daughter Ksenia. I got out so early from Dominican Republic when I was only 11, came to New York. We came here and I remember it was snowing and my uncle and my aunt, they used to live here and they came to the airport with coats. First time that I wore a coat. I skipped school, I did a lot of skipping school. If I had a class that I didn't like or whatever, I would skip that. And then the next day I would skip, you know, I would miss so much that they would call my father, you know. So I was always in the principal office. Trust me, I was a tomboy. I would fight. I had the strength, I had the ability, and I, you know, I was fast. I would go, I don't care if I get bit up. I became like a little gang, a little clique, you know, maybe like Eight. We used to wear our jacket, a jacket Lee Levi's, yeah, with an name and everything. And I was the leader. We didn't do nothing bad. I didn't like people doing things to people that you know cannot defend themselves. Whoever was picked on, we were there to protect them. Latinas, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. We used to help a lot of South Americans. I remember uh, this girl from Ecuador, she had long hair, black, long hair, and she was going up the stairs, and these uh, black kids, they started putting a match in her hair. When I saw that, and I just jumped and fight. <laughs> I remember smoking pot for the first time, and I remember laying down, because I freaked. I couldn't move and I couldn't see. This is a spot. And then I just did not, I I didn't want to mess around with drugs.
1: She met my father at something similar to Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was a chicken shop.
3: And it was summertime in Queens. We were painting the house, my father and I. And my father wanted some beer. So I said, it's okay, I go over there, they have a cold So I went over there and they used to sell fried chicken and the guy that was selling the fried chicken went to my high school and I said, hey, hi, how are you, this and that and whatever. And I turned around and there's a gentleman there and his friend.
1: My dad tells the story that he saw this beautiful, elegant, tall woman in these tight jeans in front of him and he kind of like inched his way forward in the line and started up a conversation with her. He asked me, hey, do you need any help? You know what I did?" I says, no, 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 no. And I go, hey,
3: I got my car here. If you need a, a ride? I says, no, thank you. I, I, I live only two blocks away. But he kept coming and said, come on, come on, let me help you. And I says, heck, it. I gave him the beer, and I said, and I start walking out, say bye-bye to the guy, and he kept walking with me. He started asking me questions. Where you from? And I, oh, don't tell me you Puerto uh, Rican or Venezuelan. And I said, No, I'm Dominican. So oh, how could you? Yes, and whatever. We were just having a conversation. He told me why he
2: came here. Um, my dad was born in Colombia and left to come to the United States. And he's in New York. And he's going to school out here
1: to study English and business at the local community college. But his
3: goal it's going back to Colombia to help his father, because he, his father, his grandfather, had a lot of land, especially rice and cattle My family, they had cattle and they had rice, and they had, you know, we have that in common. So, so we got land, too, in Dominican Republic, and this, and farming, and everything. You know, and I see him for the first time, I, didn't, I don't find him, you know, his face was beautiful. It's his ways, his ways. He will come, open the door for you, you know. He's a gentleman, you know, and the, he, he speaks a beautiful Spanish. People that comes from Bogota, their Spanish is superior. It sounds so beautiful, especially when you're getting a girl to fall in love with you. Well, it works like <laughs> magic. That next weekend, we went to the World Fair, and I remember the second day I kissed him. was then the beginning of my relationship with their father, Rodrigo. After being like three months or so, or maybe more, we were gonna go to a little party in Queens College. It was nice, a lot of salsa. So we were gonna go all the way over there. So he picked me up, I'm in his car, and he went out to get some cigarettes or something like that. And I see, I look down, and in the rug, the little rug, you know, the, the, the mat on his side, I see like the point of an envelope. So I say, what's that? And I read. I see his name, another lady name. So what the heck? It's a divorce decree thing. So this fucking guy is married. I put it back. I didn't say anything until we got there.
1: My dad had been married to this Jewish woman so that he could gain his residency to live here. What the
2: fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what
1: I'm saying. So, um, my mom was pretty upset. They fought about it.
3: He's and He says he didn't live with her, or whatever. You know, maybe it was the green car. Of course, they were married and they were living in the same house. He did live with her. He did fuck her. He did uh, all that stuff, but. And she had three kids. The girl was ugly. That's another thing. I mean, you know, she was ugly and kind of old. I don't want nothing to do with this guy. As I said, stop seeing him, whatever. One day I come in to the house. And he's over there. He had a, a cut all the way from his forehead to his, uh top of his head. A cut, a big, huge cut. And my mom was putting uh, cold towers and stuff like that. So I walk in, and says, what happened? He got drunk. He had a car crash. The car was almost total. So I end up taking him to the hospital. He got like, I don't know how many stitches. Took him home to his house and made up again. That was my, my chance to break it, but made up, okay, he loves me, he whatever, and his words, he was good with it. I got married in 1978, then we were going to go to the honeymoon, but we got the surprise that your grandfather wanted to come to the honeymoon, and grandmother, and aunt, and uncle. So we had to change our honeymoon plan to go to Niagara Falls. Right there, I should have walked out. In 1979, we moved to Bogotá, Colombia. You know, just to help his father.
1: My grandfather made a name for himself farming rice, did really well for himself, bought more and more and more land, and started expanding into cattle. And um, my dad came back basically to help run that.
3: Because my husband brothers were getting into, a, you know, air force. They all wanted to become pilot. I don't know why but he was going to be left alone with so much land. That was the beginning of my life there. Once I knew that I was going to Colombia, my father made me become an American citizen because he said that Colombia wasn't a stable country and at least, you know, they will take care of the uh, Americans. I met the family, I met the family. They were very nice, Colombians. They were country people, they grew up in a small town. If they went to a sixth, seventh, eighth grade, that was a lot, you know what I mean? You know, they didn't have the culture. It wasn't like me, I went to good schools, you know, I, I knew my history, I knew you know where I come from, and not them, they were campesinos, you know, they were like country folk. They were just working the land. And they took me and see the land and see me, the, 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 the countryside, it was, it was beautiful, it was nice, it was everybody was so nice. I'm, I'm going to spend two years over here, I don't care, you know, it's fine. I was teaching English to little kids. My husband will go and work in the country, on his land, his father's land. And we were beginning to see production, money from the land, and life was good. Then I got pregnant, pregnant of Ksenia. And uh, when I was around three months, um, I wanted to wear my maternity dress and I was gonna go out with my husband, was gonna take me out for the first time, looking like a pregnant girl. I'm gonna go out and eat dinner with my husband and he said that he was gonna come back, he was gonna pick up his brother, younger brother. And they never came back. I waited two hours and so and on. One of the son of my neighbor came in a car and I says, let me go to the centro, centro, to the center of the city. That's where my husband and family used to hang out. So I went over there and the car I didn't see nowhere. But passing by a, a little disco that usually was meant for the mosas, they call it the mosas over there. Married guys will bring... The girls that were not uh, their wife over there to dance and have a good time and the car was right in front over there so I went in he was dancing with a beautiful girl really young like 17 year old and I pulled my husband out of the place and he came he got startled he got and he's apologizing and he's making excuses for himself and whatever. I think his brother came came in I was already screaming to him and the thing that hurt me the most it was because uh, you know it was so much meant to me you know to go out you know with a little belly already. Well, that happened, so I said, "Heck, I'm gonna have my girl in the United States." That was my main priority. But then, uh, here we go. That's when everything started. Everything started uh, with mafia with the Colombian mafia.
2: Basically, everything that happened with my dad and his brothers, my uncles, the way that it's always been in my head presented in a way was that like he was over here and then one of his brothers was like, hey man, you know, the land and all that that mom and dad left us, we figured out something to do with it. Come back and be a part of it because
3: we're making money. One of my husband's younger brother was the first one that started dealing with illegal drugs. He was an Air Force pilot. They proposed to him to do a a trip to the Bahamas for marijuana and pay him $15,000. And I remember he bought a Honda and it was kind of a orange, beautiful color, like really shiny, but a nice orange everybody liked that car at the beginning I was old marijuana things started being cocaine yeah another brother got enlisted and then the other brother and my husband function was mainly it was uh the money laundering he, he would do the money part because he couldn't be a pilot He was a corporation that used to bring flowers here from Colombia, and he will take the money to that corporation. But he was the one that it was in charge It is mafiosos. He was in charge of getting all the money together to send it back to Colombia. They were using uh, the land strip of my father-in-law. He has a car there, but he has a landing strip. That landing strip was being used for drug dealers to land and take off and refuel. People from the Air Force would go equipped with machine guns and stuff like that, and they used to get out first and search the area before we could come out. They were doing a flight, all the pilots, and that load was somebody very important, Two parties involved, two mafia guys. It was four planes going to Bolivia, I believe, or Peru. One of the planes got caught. My ex-husband, youngest brother, was cut by the police, so they couldn't get out. My ex-husband is not a pilot, so he he was he stayed in Bogota, and he saw that his brother, youngest brother, was cut. He came out and stayed with him giving up the drugs and whatever. They got arrested, they were thrown to jail. That came out on the newspaper, all over the world. All over the world. The Dominican Republic, my family saw it. And then all the negotiations started, you know? Money's speak. They already put all the people in the jail And when they were there, in jail, they were partying. They would bring them food, they got the best thing, they bring them girls. They already had everything set up for them. My apartment in Bogota was set up for all the communication. So we could talk to them from prison, anytime. So all of those uh, mafia lords used to come in the nighttime to my house and talk to them. The mafia, they pay off, I think it was $2 million to get the release. And they bought a lot of politicians and they bought a lot of everybody. And they were out. They were out like maybe two weeks or something. So they must've felt probably invincible. They were. It was, it was very corrupted, you know? You were very well protected by by the cops, by whoever, you know. Nobody will mess around with us. They know, especially who you work for, they will not mess around with. No. And over there at that time, being a mafioso, it was even better than being a doctor. People will, you know, even uh, political people, people in the bank, they used to see you like God, even though they knew what you were doing, you know what I mean? When I used to go to a restaurant and one of them would walk in or whatever or... I mean, it was like if the Pope will come in. The respect they used to get, it was mainly the respect. And me being in, in there, I didn't... He came to a time that I didn't, I didn't give it too much thought. I used to go uh, to the spa, you know? I used to play cards in the club the best clubs they had. It was always the biggest celebration anywhere, the parties, they were so fancy, so I had the best dress, I had the best we used to go and even be with president of Columbia. Celebrations and stuff like that. And it was never wrong. I used to go to my drawer and take out $500 if I wanted. You know, it was was, uh, going to a farm and seeing a horse and I, I, I won 15 of them. How much is horse? And this horse I uh, came from, you know, the Middle East, and they cost a fortune, and you don't care. You like that, that plane, you get that plane. Whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted, I had it. And I didn't have to work for it. I didn't have to do anything for it. You become in a state that is natural. It is all so freaking natural. That's a way of making money. That's a way of whatever. If I didn't give it a lot of thought and I wasn't brought up the way it was, people were just fine with it. The only th- the only thought that I had it was how much harm we were doing, and that was that was always in the back of my mind. You know, they they only knew. You know, if they only knew, and they they only knew, and the whole thing is, uh, I guess because. Uh, even though Colombia has a lot of drugs, they don't have a lot of users, you see? And if they have users, well, maybe it's the app, well, i seen yeah, I've seen the, uh, people maybe doing cocaine. and But there was like the lowest kind of side. You, don't, you didn't see that. You didn't see people, uh, uh, oh, yes, he's a, he's a drug addict or he has a habit. or You don't see that as you see it here. It wasn't affecting them, so they didn't care. I came to my uh, mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and I says, hey, you know, you're going to see babies shaking from addicts. You know how much people you guys are hurting? I had seen that when I was on the states. They didn't seem to matter. My brother-in-law and husband, they bought them a beautiful apartment in Bogota. It must have been like maybe $2 million. As long as they were giving him stuff, everybody was fine. His mom believed that if a woman, you know, wouldn't uh, be faithful or, or wouldn't do the thing for the man or whatever, she should be hitting in the mouth. Hay que pegar en la jeta. Jeta is animal mouth to the animal. And she said it just like that to me. My sister-in-law is there. They will follow whatever the husband wants. And they are in mind. I wasn't raised that way. But um, sometimes I just, you know, just just, just just, play the role, you know. I just lay back and say, well, one of these days, it's going to be over. Or for me to take my kids at that time, you know, I still loved my husband. And, um, but I knew that it was wrong. I was always there that it was wrong. I was already becoming too, uh, maybe, um, Colombian thinking, you know, just saying yes, sir, no, sir, and doing whatever they want. Yes, maybe I was. And um, I don't know. You see, it's different when you already had things in life. You know, I had cars and whatever. Now I, I was raised in New York. Fancy car, everything. I used to see it. So it wasn't like a big deal for everybody there. I was. Uh, I was never born poor. They were, you know, that's a big deal. But um, once you're in it, you want more and more and more. And I saw it. And the competition, it was also between the brothers. If one of the brother has something, the other one won it. And wanted it even better. Between them, they were already fighting because of the money. He came to that, 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 that family I mean, if it is destroyed it's because of that. The greed. The greed. And then as they get bigger, the bigger problems they have. I used to see Americans coming in that I have to with uh, pilots and I have to translate for them and you have to be very careful. And I used to see that they used to be with um bodyguards and stuff because they didn't want them to make phone calls or whatever because we didn't know if they were, you know, working for the DEA or they were informant on where they were, you know. And um, I began to understand. I says, man, shoot, I'm here. I'm playing a really huge role here. I'm involved as anybody is. That used to make me not want to go to sleep, you know. That used to make me really bad. I wanted to leave this world. You know, the drugs, get away from, from that kind of life. Get away, you know, just, just get away. And my hope it was, you know, that that uh, let's go to the United States. I will talk to my husband about it. And he says, don't worry, we're gonna get out. You know, just make enough money to buy, just one more money. You know, I think we have enough. I didn't need it, I didn't need it, I didn't need it, and plus what it comes with it, you know? And even though, you know, how much money I had, I wasn't content. I wasn't, it wasn't filling me up. It wasn't the life that I want. And I didn't want, you know, my kids to, to grow up. I want them to be educated properly. And I didn't want to bring up my kids, you know, with that, in that. I would tell my husband, I will fight with him, it was the same. we are going back, we are going back, we are going back, we are going back. But it never seems to us going back. It is so hard to break, so hard to get out, so hard to everything that my husband, I guess, because he, all his family was on it, he couldn't break apart. He couldn't. And I knew then, you know, that, that I will never break apart neither. Either he get caught, maybe, or whatever, it was never going to end. One of the mafiosos, I remember, he said over there, and this is Gotcha. I don't remember his name, but he's going Gacha. He says, you know, once you start building, the more you want to build. You know, no matter, you won't be contentious with one house, you're going to build more. That's, that's what it is all about. The greed, the money, the more you, you have, the more you want. Uh, but it never stopped.
0: That's it for Love and Radio. But we'll have part two of this story out in just one week, so stay tuned. This episode was produced in collaboration with the Everything is Stories podcast, which you can find at eisradio.org. The show was produced by Brendan Baker, Garrett Crowe, Mike Martinez, Tyler Ray, and myself, with production assistance from Paulus Van Horn, Kira O'Connor, and Harriet Soakmansur. Additional help from Ben Grimmy, Isvet Verde, and Antonia Sarajito. Special thanks also to Michael Jones at Studio 44 in Brooklyn. Love and Radio is a production of Radiotopia, whose founding sponsors are the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. Thanks for listening. And here's what's coming up on next week's podcast.
3: So oh, you got to take that stuff out of here. You know, I got the kids here. I says, yeah, but tell your husband to tell me what to do with it. All of a sudden, he
2: just disappeared. And, like, it was like, oh, he's out on business.
1: One day, I came home and found all of these papers on her bed that said the state of New York versus my dad.
0: Well, it all began with marijuana. Yeah, marijuana.
3: This is how I got away from them all.